Welcome in, everybody, to this week's edition of the On the Rocks podcast. I'm Nick Cosmider alongside Patrick Saunders. We make up your Rockies coverage duo for the Denver Post. Um, we can talk about a few things today as, as spring training uh, trickles even closer. Uh, Patrick's headed down to Scottsdale on Sunday. Um, we'll put him right to work on Monday, and then I will be joining him uh, in the desert the following Sunday. So we're going to talk about some of the general feelings, excitement level, um, after having had the chance to talk to some Rockies players last week about um, sort of their energy for getting down to spring training. Um, we'll talk about who has uh, maybe the biggest pressure uh, on their shoulders as they head in to spring training this year. And then we'll finally close it with some mailbags, uh, a mailbag section at the end. So, so Patrick, let's kind of get into that first part of it. You know, we had the opportunity, uh, the Rockies announced the signing of Greg Holland a couple, couple weeks ago, about 10 days ago, and then they had him, um, in, at Coors Field for us to talk to, as well as a bunch of the players who were um, as part of the Rockies caravan, um, which we spent some time talking to them as well, which was was pretty neat to kind of get a get to touch base with those guys. Um, so, what's just sort of your general takeaway um, after having met uh, with a, about a half dozen or so Rockies players and, and just the conversations you've had generally about what the what the pulse of this team is as they get ready to go down to Scottsdale on Sunday? Well, Nick, you know the the old saying is. Uh, Hope springs eternal in spring training. And I think it always does. But I really think, and I think you'd agree with me, that there is a palpable sense that uh, of optimism. The lineup, the position players, they believe that they can get the job done. And I think that past years they would say all the right things, but I don't think in their heart they meant it. They knew there were too many holes in the starting rotation. They knew there were too many questions about the bullpen. And although they said the right things, I'm not sure in their heart they really thought they could be a contender, a playoff contender. I think that's changed. I think partly it's youth, but I think partly these guys just looked at the potential that flashed last year, and they see the route, the moves the Rockies made in the offseason and they think they're a step or two closer. Um, you and I were talking a little while ago before we started the podcast, that's not necessarily the national view of this team, although the Rockies are getting more love than normal. But if you ask me in general, the general tone of this team is uh, it's going to be a very energetic, very upbeat spring training. I don't know, your, your thoughts, did you get that same feeling? Yeah, um, I certainly did, and, and it kind of falls along with what you said um, is – these guys, a lot of this core, especially when you talk about the lineup, they, they've been through it now for, for a while, and they've sort of started to see that, that general progression. And I think that's why you saw at the end of last year, there were some players who um, you know, were, were very understanding of the fact that Walt Weiss was leaving. I mean, the records spoke for themselves, but they also appreciated the sense of growth that the team had finally started to uh, to experience in his in his fourth season, and so um, now with the new manager and Bud Black, who every Rocky I've talked to um, ahead of uh, profile I'm doing on Bud Black for this Sunday um, is just that sense of excitement from all that they've heard of him. You know, the baseball world is is a small community. These guys know each other. They talk a lot. And I think there is a really general sense of excitement for working with a manager um, who's considered a player's manager, but who has also, um, you know, proven success. He's been a man, uh, National League Manager of the Year uh, with the Padres. Um, so yeah, I just I just think that general excitement of you're starting a new era with a new manager. But more than that, it's sort of these guys sensing that they're going to take kind of that next step of growth. 
I think through the years of my covering this team, behind the scenes and particularly off the record conversation with players, there was always a sense of frustration. Why don't we do something bold? Why don't we make any big moves? Why do we always seem to stand pat? This offseason, Jeff Breidich did some bold moves. Ian Desmond, five years, $70 million. They went out and got uh, Greg Holland. They went out and got uh, Dunn, some other people. So I think the Rockies players, and I've talked with a few of them off the record about this, basically, I'm paraphrasing, they're finally saying, finally this organization has put a little bit of money where their mouth is. And I think there's an appreciation for that finally. Having said that, there are some questions about this team, and, and I say that because I did a piece the other day where I just went and looked at some of the national perspective on this team, and it was all over the board. Uh, SportsIllustrated.com gave the Rockies offseason grade a D plus, primarily because they thought signing Ian Desmond for that amount of money to be a first baseman was ridiculous, and there is a national thread along those lines out there. However, uh, ESPN and some other sites gave the Rockies offseason a B plus or C plus or somewhere in that range, thinking that they yes they have taken a step toward not just respectability, but being a competitive baseball team. But the bottom line is it's what the team believes in themselves. It doesn't really matter what we believe, but can they put the money where their mouth is? They've got to be the ones who perform. We'll see if they're up to the task beginning here in just a few days. Yeah, we're getting close to it. And, and But it, it's like you said, just to touch on that again real quick, is that uh, the lineup is it, – it would be hard to imagine the lineup not being among the National League's best. It has been with the same group um, for several years. We know that starting rotation, especially those those power four who, who we know will be there, and, and uh, Chad Bettis, Tyler Chatwood, John Gray, and Tyler Anderson, um, you can only, I think, realistically expect that they will take another step forward. And then the one big issue is the bullpen. And when you talk about what they did in the offseason, whether these moves work or not, we'll have to wait and see. But they did go out and they spent the money. They made some uh, semi-bold moves um, that if guys can return to their form, uh, could work out big in securing the one week, the, the biggest week area they had a season ago. One more question that I have and concern, I guess is a better way to put it, Nick, is injury. Uh, I was a little bit surprised and a little bit um, disappointed, if that's the right word, that the Rockies didn't make a move to bring in a veteran arm of some sort, not somebody who's going to go out and put up a 3-5 ERA or something, but somebody who's a decent pitcher who can give them innings because, you know, if, if somebody goes down, and I'm not going to name a name because I don't want to jinx somebody, but if somebody in the starting staff goes down, there's not a lot of starting pitching depth. Yes, there's good young talent on the way up, but is that young talent ready for the big leagues? You know, Kyle Freeland might be, Jeff Hoffman, yes, Sensatella, some of these guys, but there's going to be growing pains. And if one of the big four, the core four, goes down, the Rockies don't have the resources to make up for that, uh, so they better hope the baseball got smile on them in terms of 
staying healthy because that's going to be huge for this team. Yeah, as much as they've potentially improved the margin for error when you're chasing these playoff spots, regardless is small, and especially for a team like the Rockies, you're absolutely right. I, I do worry a little bit about the starting pitching depth uh, because it seems like you always, especially at Coors Field, are going to need about six or seven guys throughout the course of a season. So um, that'll be interesting to see. Um, we'll come back here in just a minute and we'll get uh, move on to our second segment of the show talking about players heading into spring training with the most pressure. Welcome back to the On the Rocks podcast. I'm Nick Kosmider alongside my beat partner on the Colorado Rockies, Patrick Saunders. Um, you know, we're just a few days away from heading down to Scottsdale for spring training. Obviously, a really excited time. I can't wait to go down there and get get a little warmer. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the general excitement. Um, you know, there's a lot of players, Patrick, going into spring training um, who – you know, it's always a pressure time for guys trying to prove things, trying to make the roster. But I think there's a, a group of guys you can especially look to um, this spring who who we can really say, yeah, they, these guys have to have to show something. They have to do something, whether it's to win a job, whether it's to prove that their contract was worthwhile. Um, I, I want to start with you and ask who, who you see as some of those guys and for what reason do you view them that way? I'm going to throw out a few names. And then I'm going to let you play off that, okay? <clears throat> if I had my list of people who have a lot of pressure for a variety of reasons on their shoulders, uh, one I think would be Jeff Hoffman, the young right-hander who is the centerpiece of the Troy Tulowitzki trade. Uh, two, Gerardo Parra, the outfielder who is coming into the second season of a $27.5 million deal over three years. Three, for different reasons, John Gray who could be the stud of this staff. Uh, four, the young catching tandem of Tony Walters and Tom Murphy. And five, some bullpen guys who were here last year and underperformed. And I'm thinking specifically Jake McGee, Jason Mott, and Chad Qualls. So I know that's a lot of names to roll out at you, but those to me are the guys right now. Oh, I forgot one other, Ian Desmond, who <laughs> has to learn how to play first base. Yeah. Although I have no qualms. No idea that he won't do that. I think he can manage that. Anyway, those are my names. Yeah. Go off that a little bit. What do yeah, you think? Yeah, I think um, yeah that I think you hit in terms of the group itself, and you know I like that. There's there's different reasons, and pressure can mean a lot of different things. You know, you some guys thrive on that. I think when you talk about John Gray, you know that's that's what comes with being an ace is pressure, um, and and the ones that are aces show that they can kind of. Um, eat that and absorb it every and, fifth and night. And don't you think that last year he showed us that he's not only not afraid of that, that now he wants to be that guy? I think last year showed me oh, that he does. Absolutely. And I, and I think what you liked about John Gray last year was, you know, he had that wonderful stretch after the All-Star break where he was, um, I, you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he, he um, was just really sharp and economical and, um, you know, going deep into games. And then he hit that patch um, where he, he was struggling. Um, he, he couldn't get, um, you know, he couldn't, he couldn't locate his pitches the way he wanted to. Um, he was struggling with his secondary stuff a little bit. Um, but then he battled out of that to have that kind of historic 16 strikeout game and really kind of finished the year on a strong note. And I think that was kind of showed some of that of, listen, I'm going to be this guy. Like, uh, there's no, like, I can't just sink down into these stretches. Like, I have to battle. And, and I think John Gray has that in him. I think that's He's got to be the pitcher who, if they um, decide 
that they're going to um, stop a losing streak or start a winning streak, that he keys that guy to get that to take care of that. Right. Um, so I, I think that's really big. Jeff Hoffman has said publicly that he wants to be in the starting rotation this year. Now, last year in his debut, he was both a starter and a reliever. Both Buddy Black, the new manager, and Jeff Breitsch, the GM, have indicated that they will not be opposed to using some of their young arms who were drafted as starting pitchers. They will not be adverse to putting them in the bullpen if that's what this team needs. Well, Jeff Hoffman, I'm sure he'll do what he's told, but he wants to be a starting pitcher. What do you think? Do you think he's ready to be that guy or certainly compete with uh, Marquez or some of these other guys for that fifth spot. You know, he, Jeff Hoffman has the pressure tag because he was the linchpin of the Troy Tulowitzki trade. So he'll always be viewed as that guy who uh, the Rockies um, gave away their one of their most talented players in franchise history for. Right. Um, so that carries that. We saw Jeff Hoffman last year. Um, he came up here. He pitched 31 innings. Um, as you as you alluded to, a little bit of relief, but it, that was mostly starts. He went 0-4 overall with a 4.88 ERA. So the numbers, like a lot of guys who make their debut at Coors Field for for a somewhat of an extended period of time, um, a lot of rocky. I mean, we've seen we saw that from you know, everybody from John Gray to Drew Pomeranz to you know all these guys who come in with a lot of expectation. Um, I didn't necessarily see anything last year that made me think. You know, this is the guy. That's this is why they got him for Troy Tulowitzki. Um, I can't. I kind of kept waiting to see at least that flash. You know, even when John Gray came up, um, and, and maybe his numbers weren't there, you could see those flashes of of ace type stuff. And to be honest with you, I just never really saw that from Jeff Hoffman. Now that doesn't mean that he he can't come back starting starting at spring training, um, attack that fifth that open fifth position and really have a great spring and, and go out there and get it done. But um, I have, I have my doubts as to whether he's going to be that guy at least. So at least this year, I, I agree with that. And I think both of you or both of us would rather would have to put Gerardo Parra right there. His on base percentage was terrible. He very just way, way, way too often would swing at first pitches and get out. He was not very good at advancing runners. He came to this team as advertised as a very terrific uh, athletic outfielder. I didn't see that. He didn't look anything to me like he did when he played for the Diamondbacks. Uh, in my book right now, he's the fourth outfielder, even though his price tag is pretty high. Uh, yeah, David Dahl, I think, is the starter and left, unless he and Charlie Blackman flip-flop, which is a possibility. Uh, but Parra, he's got to be in better shape. His ankle will finally be healed. But in my book, he's got to be, he's got to take a better approach at the plate because I just don't think his approach was, was very good last year. No, to, to speak to some of that, he had 381 plate appearances last year, and uh, he had nine walks. And I remember there was a, there was a series I went to. Um, they were playing the Nationals um, in, in September. They were already out of it at this point. And, um, you know, Gerardo Parra has a game against the Nationals in which he walks twice. And, and Thomas Harding and I are like, you know, the, the MLB.com writer for the Rockies are just kind of looking at each other like, 
that was the story of the day. Like <laughs> Gerardo Parra walks twice in one game, and then I think I think he walked another time the next day. So of those nine walks, three of them were in a two-game span. And j- yeah, and it really was like that. That was the thing, the puzzling thing. You know, I I grew up in Arizona, went to college there while he was playing with the Diamondbacks. So I saw Gerardo Parra play a lot in Arizona, and I I was always struck by he seemed to be that guy who yes. could make things happen. Yes. Not necessarily like a star. He's not going to hit 30 home runs. He's not going to. Uh, he's not going to hit 320. Um, but just a guy who would be able to make plays, can get things going, and you just never saw that last year with him getting on that rhythm. Uh, of course, the injury I'm sure played a, a good deal into that. But um, he's on a three-year expensive contract, and there, there's big pressure on him to come in and perform this year. Let's go with one more guy with pressure on before we move to the next segment, and that's Jake McGee, the lefty. There was even speculation that the Rockies would non-tender him and cut him loose. Didn't happen. Uh, they re-signed him. Uh, are you buying or selling on Jake McGee? In other words, he showed flashes early on last year when he began the season as the closer. Uh, then he didn't perform particularly well. He had the knee problem. Uh, he never told us that it messed him up a lot, but I think it was pretty clear uh, because his fastball velocity was down, his pitch command was off, and I didn't particularly like his mound presence either. Either I thought there was uh, a little bit of a hangdog attitude out there, some slumped shoulders, some oh, woe is me out there with him. Uh, the Rockies need him uh, as a strong left-handed presence in the bullpen, no matter if he's a seventh inning guy or eighth or who knows, even ninth. Right. But I'm asking you, do you think last year's an aberration? Do you think that fastball velocity comes back up to 95, 96? And can he be the Jake McGee the Rockies wanted when they traded Corey Dickerson to get him? Yeah, you're right. They, they have to, I mean, he has to be, if, if for him to be worth what they gave up. I, I was just going to mention with giving getting rid of Dickerson, although obviously the Rockies have a, um, a nice stable of outfielders um, yeah, Corey, that allowed them to do that. Face it, Corey didn't yeah, perform No, he well. didn't. So that trade last year right. um, didn't really work out for either team. I, you know, I've talked to some around the uh, the team since the last season ended who said that, um, you know, th- those leg issues for McGee were, were the real deal. Like, he, he really did struggle with that. And I, I think it was a, a real physical problem for him. He, like you said, he didn't let on that that was really hampering him. But I think that it was quite a bit. Um, so I'm willing in this case, in cases like that, to give a guy the benefit of the doubt to say, okay, well, maybe you're going to come in and that was an aberration. Um, but the, the, you, you mentioned it. They really need a good left-handed presence. You hope they're going to get that with Mike Dunn, obviously, um, who came over uh, with the, the three-year contract. Um, but, I, I, you know, you don't know. It's, it's one of those things that to me is going to be another of those big mysteries of can this guy – bring it uh, and be a key piece of what they hope will be an improved bullpen. You know, I'm not a big radar-watching guy in spring training. A lot of people will go hang out by the scouts with their radar guns and check the velocity on fastballs of various guys, particularly these guys coming back from, say, a Tommy John or whatever. Uh, But spring training, to me, gives you a false sense sometimes because you really never know if the guy's holding back, if he's got a dead arm in spring if he's working on a new pitch or something. And so I think it'd be unfair to go out the first couple days of spring training or even the first couple Cactus Leagues games, look at Jake McGee and say, "Uh uh-oh, fastball's only 92.8. 
what happened. But I think it, it's something I'm going to watch toward the end of spring when he's going four or five, maybe even six innings on his last tune-up games. Or not, I'm sorry, he's a reliever, so he's not even going that far. But you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that uh, I think it is worth noting to see because he's a fastball guy. He's always been a fastball guy. And if he's lacking movement and velocity, he's not nearly the pitchers the Rockies had hoped for. So he is one guy that I definitely will check out those radar guns to see where his velocity is yeah. toward the end of spring training. Yeah. No, so this will be this will be a, a great group to watch. And, you know, the Rockies are hopeful that they can get get basically more out of all of that group, even guys who had a great year like, like John Gray. Uh, we'll come back one more time with our final segment here on the On the Rocks podcast when we'll take a few mailbag questions. Welcome back to the On the Rocks podcast. I'm Nick Cosmider alongside Patrick Saunders, my beat partner for the Colorado Rockies coverage on the Denver Post. Uh, we're finishing up our segment today, taking a few mailbag questions. Uh, from some of our readers. Patrick, I'll just kick this one off to you right away. Uh, This is from Victor in Alameda, California. I know a main roster spot is not guaranteed for him, but do you think with the Rockies signing Mark Reynolds to a minor league contract um, that that's a backup plan if Ian Desmond can't field at first? I think Mark Reynolds will be the opening day first baseman with Ian Desmond in the outfield. I see Jeff Breidich trading away someone. Your thoughts? Victor, Victor, Victor. (laughs) You and I were just talking about this, Nick. <laughs> Why does get nobody on believe that Ian Desmond's going to be their first baseman? It's very perplexing to me. He is. He has been working out since early January. He went to Scottsdale. He worked with Trevor Story, Nolan Arenado, a bunch of guys fielding the position. He is their first baseman. Mark Reynolds is coming back as a backup first baseman. Unless Ian Desmond or an outfielder gets hurt, Ian Desmond's your first baseman on opening day. Mark Reynolds is a nice addition. I'm, I thought it was a smart move. That, he turned yeah. down, I believe it was $3 million, to go play in Korea. And he chose the Rockies for much less money. But I don't know why people can't accept the fact that Ian Desmond will be their first baseman opening this season. Doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Sure. I can understand why people don't like it. But to just say it's not going to happen, uh, Victor, I love you out there in Alameda, California. But uh, better get on board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and if if I'm wrong, you can laugh at me all you want. But I don't think it's some weird experiment. Yeah. Desmond, for now, is their first base. Well, and just a quick note on on Reynolds. We talked about this the last time we had the podcast that the, we were curious not about whether uh, Desmond was going to be the first baseman because that you and I had gotten on board with this a while ago. But um, who was going to back him up? Right. And at that point. You know, we were saying is, is Gerardo Parra right. going to be the first baseman, which I don't think he he really wanted to play. And I, I just I was always lukewarm on that experiment to begin with. Um, so I, I do think it was a good move to bring it, Mark know, back. And, and let's face it, Mark Brown, it's a minor league contract yeah. with an invite to big league camp. So he's got to make the team sure. to, in order to make the guaranteed money. And they have some younger guys or some journeyman guys who might be in the mix. If they have a good spring training, there's no guarantee that Mark Reynolds makes it. But as we sit here today, I think he probably does. We'll move on to our next question. This is from Steve L. in Denver. Patrick, I loved your piece on Todd Helton. We all miss him. If the Baseball Hall of Fame worked like the Football Hall of Fame, he would be a shoe-in. With the exclusivity of the Baseball Hall of Fame, what do you think his chances are of being inducted when his time comes? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Todd, as you could gather from my columns, one of the favorite guys I've ever covered. 
First, let's, let's start with the, the way the NFL does it, where guys get in a room and they hash it out for hour after hour after hour. Uh, Jeff Legwald, former Rocky Mountain News writer, former Denver Post writer, now ESPN writer for the NFL, basically really pushed and pushed and pushed to get Terrell Davis in the Hall of Fame. And I tip my cap to Jeff, a great guy who did his homework and got TD in the Hall of Fame finally. So if baseball worked similarly, I don't necessarily think that would ensure Todd Helton's getting in. Because even if it was me or a longtime guy like Tracy Ringlesby or Thomas Harding or you or Troy Rink or somebody who's known Todd Helton for much of his career went in and argued why to a group, a committee, I'm not sure that would convince enough people that Todd's numbers were not skewed dramatically by Coors Field. I mean, Larry Walker's not in, and you could say that those are the two greatest players in Rockies history, and if Larry Walker has not gotten above, what, 25% of the yeah. required 75% at this stage, uh, I don't know if Todd Helton, if just arguing with a bunch of other sports writers, particularly from the East Coast or somewhere where all they th see is Coors Field, all they are is blinded by the splits, I'm not sure that's going to help. I think the way the Hall of Fame is set up now might actually be an easier way, a better way for Todd Helton to have a shot because you have writers who saw him play, who looked at his numbers, and yes, of course, they're going to go to war and some other statistics, but those people who know baseball and knew what a special ball player Todd Helton was, the beat writers around the country, I think that might actually get him in easier, an easier path than the way the NFL does it. I don't know. Do you agree with me? Or yeah, do you I, I, I do. And, and I, I just kind of wonder what it will take um, for a Rockies player, what their threshold is going to have to be um, in order to finally get someone in the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, just just how steep do you think that course field? It's huge. Uh, yeah. It's huge. And my guess is the first Rocky to get in the Hall of Fame might indeed be Larry Walker via the senior committee, coming in as an old timer, so to speak. Uh, maybe Todd makes it before him. I don't know. Uh, the guy who was on the career path to, to get in as a shoe-in right now is Nolan Arenado, but he's still, what, 25 years yeah. old and four yeah. seasons in the bigs. Uh, you know, and this is a pet peeve of mine, and, and I've talked to national guys about this, about the course field and the altitude factor, and, and they'll lay out their numbers and say, are you kidding? The splits are so dramatic. He's not a full ball player. But if a ball player is a great ball player and you put up the type of numbers that Todd Helton did, uh, more than 2,500 hits, I believe he's 18th or something all-time in doubles, his on-base percentage was high, he was a leader, he was a gold-glove fielder, all of those things, it's not just your home road splits that defines you as an outfielder. And when you play 17 seasons for one uh, organization, you become the face of that franchise, to me that counts for something too. It's the Hall of Fame, and playing 17 years for one tr franchise and being the face of it, that is fame, fame yeah. to me. So I mean, he's Mr. Rocky. He's, he he yeah. is, and you know, and let me, one more tangent, and, and I'm not, I've talked about this ad nauseum, I'm not disparaging anybody, I'm not disparaging Clayton Kershaw or anybody else, uh, but nobody ever talks about them getting a, uh, an ERA, you know, a sub two or a sub two five ERA because they pitch in Dodger Stadium where balls hit in 60%, 70% of any other ballpark 
is against the wall or over the fence for a home run, but they die at the warning track mm-hmm. at Dodger Stadium on a summer night, that's a luxury that a lot of pitchers don't have. So if you're going to knock guys at Coors Field, well, at least recognize that some pitchers in pitcher-friendly ballparks, they're boosted by that, too. Oh, certainly, yeah. Not from my sermon, but I'm sorry. I feel very strong. <laughs> no, no, I agree. I agree. Um, we'll, we'll move on to our next one from Scott E. in the Springs. Uh, I assume that means the Colorado Springs or, so. or the Manitou Springs or the Glenwood Springs. Uh, Pagosa Springs. <laughs> Pagosa Springs. Steamboat a lot of springs. springs around here. Pagosa Springs, Steamboat Springs. I mean, he could be from uh, Scott could be from anywhere. Uh, I just read your Trevor Story piece. Uh, he's referring to the cover story today. Um, and it led me to send this way too early question regarding Story and the man-in-waiting Brendan Rogers. Uh, what do you see in your crystal ball regarding these two gentlemen who can't share the exact same piece of real estate at the same time? What would you like to see happen? Great stuff as always, Mr. Saunders. Well, thank you, Mr. Scott E. Um, here's what I think long-term is going to happen. I think Story stays at short for the long-term. Arenado, of course, stays at third for the long-term, or at least as long as he's with the Rockies contract. I could see uh, Rogers becoming in the future a first baseman. At some point, the Rockies will unjam the logjam in the outfield. Could be this year at some point, could be later. At that point, I could see uh, Ian Desmond becoming a kind of a, a role player where he, he spots in the outfield and is a backup at first base, and Brandon Rogers becomes a first baseman. I think that's a very realistic thing that the Rockies might look into. I don't think he's any better at shortstop in terms of range or arm than Trevor Story is. Or if he is, I don't think it's that much better to move Trevor Story somewhere else. The other possibility is DJ LeMayhew's future. Who knows? He's going to be a, a free agent, I believe, after the 19th season. You know, if DJ's gone, maybe Brendan Rodgers or Trevor Story becomes a second baseman. That's also the scenario. So that's the way I see it right now. Yeah, and I think that um, obviously if they can get Brendan Rodgers, the sooner that he becomes a kind of um, – you know, can't sit guy in that organization or a must insert in lineup kind of guy, um, the sooner they'll have the luxury of really exploring some advantageous, uh, whether it be trade scenarios or, um, well, yeah, trade scenarios in terms of, like you said, the log jam that they have. At some point, there's not going to be room for, for all of these talented guys if they reach the level that you expect them to reach. Um, and we've talked for some time that, you know, that the outfield and the outfield continues to be um, where we hear every single year um, the trade rumors every every offseason, every um, all star break, depending on how the Rockies are doing. Um, and, and so I think if he does become someone who you can um, build around or, or, or bring up and have contribute in a major way, you know, then your outfielders become even more, perhaps even more valuable to get better pitching in here. Um, you know, Ian Desmond's already shown that he can play as a starting outfielder. So um, I don't, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't necessarily see him going in there and taking over the shortstop role. And I don't see him coming up this year. Yeah, no, no. I think He's this too is far away. Sure. maybe 18. Right. Uh, unless he, I mean, because let's face it, I mean, for all the flashes of talent, he also has shown some holes, and that's fine. Right. I mean. You know, there's not a lot of Mike Trouts out there who are suddenly major league ready the first time they s- step on a pro baseball field. Um, you know, Rogers is a great talent, but he needs some. He needs to work on some things, including on base percentage, strikeouts, all of those things, which is only natural for yeah. a young player as they climb the minor league ladder. Yes, so I, I think that's still some time away. But if if he can become that, it'll it'll create some 
continue uh, continued interesting scenarios. Uh, and we'll, we'll close the uh, On the Rocks podcast today with this final question from Scott in Lakewood. Um, Patrick, 16 days and counting to the first spring training game. We usually go down for a long weekend in the middle of the month, but this year we decided to go early and we'll be there for the first week. Figure we'll be seeing a lot of the young guns. What should we be looking for in those early spring training games? Also, as an aside, Blanco's Tacos and Tequila on <laughs> North Scottsdale has outstanding chips and salsa. So we've I've marked that down. Um, can't wait to try That's it. That's my response to it. I think it was our last... Was it our last mailbag or our last? I think it was our last podcast, podcast where I pumped up Frank and Lupe's yeah, yeah, yeah. Old Town Scottsdale. Right. By the way, go on the patio; it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would get the. Get right. a, I think we should a send a it to that. Yeah, yeah, right. Anyway, Free appetizers. What was the question? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, you know the early spring games, and I'm assuming the the reader is talking about going to early spring games. The early spring games, yeah. Okay. I think the 25th is the first. Exactly. Yeah. And you're right. You're not going to see the starters in there very long. Two, three innings, two, three at-bats maximum. Um, what I would look at, um, you get a good shot at some of the young starting pitching. Um, so I think that's something to look for. Uh, I would just, if you're a hardcore fan, you know, stay through the whole game and get a look at some of the the young guns like Brandon Rogers, who we just talked about, uh, get a look at uh, Ramel Tapia, who has a shot to be on the team. Although I think he'll start at AAA. The the relievers will be throwing in a variety of games and a variety of innings, not necessarily matching up to what their role will be come the regular season. So you'll get a look at some of those guys. You'll get to see if Jason Mott can regain his stuff. You'll get to see if Jake McGee is healthy. Um, but, you know, I'd go in there and just look at uh, the young talent. Make sure and get a, a, a roster or a scorecard. And if somebody catches your eye and he's wearing number 89, you think, wow, that's a tight end. No, it usually means he's a, a, a double-A or a single-A guy. Uh, but you can say, you know what, wow, I saw, you know, this guy when he was, you know, still in single-A or double-A. I remember when Troy Tulowitzki was coming up. I went to a game with a, a good friend of mine. And this was, I think, a year before Tulo made his major league debut. And I pointed him out and I said, my buddy Joe, I said, Joe, look at the shortstop playing now. And I said, I guarantee you he's going to be a star and he's, he'll probably be up next year. And he was. And my buddy always remembers, he goes, oh, wow, I saw, I knew Tulo and saw Tulo shine before anybody else did. Well, not before the scouts <laughs> and the, everybody else, but he always thought that was really yeah. cool. So that's one of the things that's that's neat about spring training. And if I were you, I would come early enough to go out and watch the players do drills. And I'm talking about the veterans because you get to see them just hanging out and be regular guys. You get to see them joking around. You get to see them uh, taking, you know, batting practice and having their own mini home run derbies. That That's the part of spring training that a lot of people miss. And although Salt River Fields is not nearly as fan-friendly as the old complex in High Corbett years ago in Tucson is. Uh, learn your way around. Ask around. Find out from folks, you know, uh, where's Arenado today? Where's, where's he taking BP? And, and there's a good chance you might get an autograph or two doing it that way. So yeah. those would be my tips. Well, I'm going to soak in those tips because yeah. for me it'll be uh, the first time being down there. And, and so um, 
really excited about that. Like you said, it, I think that's what people cherish about spring training is that it's just, it almost has the veil removed a little bit more in terms of seeing how guys go about their, their day-to-day operation, which I'm, I personally am excited to see. And, um, you know, I think it'll make for a fun, uh, fun six or so and weeks down one there. One other restaurant tidbit for breakfast it's right there on Hayden Road and Via de Ventura, right near the Rockies ballpark. If you can, if you have time to wait in line, go to Butters. I think it's Butters Cafe and Pancakes or something like that. The food's good. It's breakfast food, but I guarantee you, you go in there and you're going to see probably a bunch of Rockies, and you're probably going to see a bunch of other players from the Cactus League because the players love their their pancakes and their eggs. So go to Butters. I guarantee you, you'll you'll love it. There you go. That's going to do it for us on the On the Rocks podcast. Um, be sure to keep it locked in to denverpost.com for plenty of Rockies coverage that we'll have all week. Um, pick up the Denver Post on Sunday. We'll have a big preview package um, looking ahead to the start of spring training. Of course, follow us on Twitter as Patrick will be arriving in Scottsdale on Sunday and we'll be heading to the complex next Monday morning. Uh, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.